it feels as if with regards to our relationship with our phones, what hasn't been said? They're bad for you, they're good for you, we use them all the time, we use them incorrectly. But based on previous addiction episodes I've done, I hope to try and link it to addiction and even to get us thinking in a different way about our relationship with our phones. And hopefully this won't come across as too negative, but I think it's always good to have a reminder with something that we come into contact with every hour of our waking lives. So this episode has taken particular inspiration from a book called Irresistible by Adam Alter. It's a book that mainly focuses on addiction and technology, but it regularly talks about addiction more generally as well. So the aim is to focus on shorter episodes that look at key points that I've picked out. And I guess importantly, it's not just a review of the book. It's kind of relating it back to how they've impacted my life as well, which will provide a bit of a different outlook. As as I mentioned at the start, we've heard a lot about our relationship with technology. So why am I doing this? Well, I think it's important to constantly review our relationship with whatever it might be, with how we act with people, how we do work, and how we respond to technology. I think if I were to focus on phones, for example, first off, a good indication of our relationship is looking at screen time. So like almost everyone, I'm quite concerned about how much time I spend on it. With me, it's mainly the pickups. So how often am I picking up my phone? Um, so these days I've managed to cut to around two hours. Um, and in a study that the book cites, it says that an 80% of teenagers check their phones at least once an hour. In 2008, adults were spending an average of 18 minutes on their phones per day. But in 2015, we're spending two hours and 48 minutes per day. And that was eight years ago. So I wonder how that's changed now as well. I think just going off on a slight tangent, part of the reason why we're spending more on our phones is the plethora of apps available. And I had to cut down last year on some of the apps because I went through them and I just thought, I don't need an app version of this. Um, Whether that's a particular game that I don't have anymore because I just won't ever click on it, something like Candy Crush or Angry Birds. I don't know, I'm going back years ago now. But then you've got apps for all sorts of things like Amazon, eBay, Woucher, ASOS, H&M. And there's just so many. And I feel the very presence of that app is going to mean that you're going to click on it more and be more likely to buy something. And over the last few weeks in particular, I've made my phone incredibly boring. I want to do an episode on a dopamine detox when I actually go and try it for seven days whereby you kind of detach yourself from, I mean, it does go very far. So it's no social media, it's no junk food, it's no music, it's no TV and a few others. But it basically wants you to not get any sort of dopamine from an easy hit. The idea is to make yourself work for dopamine, from my understanding. It's it's to make yourself read a long book or go out for a run or maybe really connect in a conversation, maybe work on things like podcasting, for example. Things that take time and effort and provide a longer lasting dopamine hit that's not kind of a, a short, easy one where you're looking for another one 
within a, the space of a minute, which is another reason why I think TikTok has has its negatives. But anyway, going back to, to screen time, I, I think for me, it's been really key to, if I wanted to reduce screen time, for example, it's been key for me to remove apps that I don't really need. Maybe I could, it's worth downloading for that short time or I need a Amazon purchase, but generally speaking, they don't need to be on my phone. But this weirdly makes my phone really boring. There's, there's nothing really to click on. Uh, I don't have any social media apps there at the moment. So it's only things like Strava or WhatsApp that really make me use my phone. But I guess it's important to also recognise that screen time isn't the be-all and end-all. I mean, a lot of people would argue that they do creative and productive stuff on their phone, and I can't disagree with that. It's good for journaling, it's good for scheduling, looking at your finances, uh, Google Maps, for example, uh, even Strava or Spotify. So I, I don't want to kind of have this narrative that any kind of phone use is bad. It's just how we use it. Here might be a good place to say as well that I'm particularly always been interested in the last few years at, at looking at this. But I think there's some people that are absolutely okay with how they use their phone and what they do on it. And I, I need to take a step back and just think, well, if that's what they want to do, that's absolutely fine. I think one of the reasons for doing this episode and that people should be more aware of is I think a lot of the time I can see that people are wanting to reduce it but don't really know how or maybe not putting the steps in place that they could do uh, to reduce it. So this is more for people that have expressed uh, an eagerness to use their time more efficiently and wisely and and not to use social media apps that provide that quick dopamine hit so often because it makes them feel anxious or they're not able to hold, hold conversation or attention for a particular thing. So that's kind of the target audience and I don't want to make people feel kind of guilty for whatever they do on their phone. I've learned that, you know, everyone as an individual has a right to do kind of what they do with their time. So that's absolutely fine. But yeah, another another key point about screen time, there was a an app called Moment, and this has changed now because I think Apple's screen time works so effectively. But he kept, designed by Kevin Halesh, this app allowed you to track what you spend your time on. He worked out using an indication of the people that use the app that, on average, people will use their phones for 100 hours over the course of a, an average month. So if you look at that over an average lifetime, that amounts to around 11, 11 years. And that sounds quite scary to me. Um, so I remember seeing a video a few years back that explained just how important the little things you do each day are. So for example, brushing your teeth both two minutes in the morning and two minutes in the evening equates to around 24 hours every year. So you spend one day per year brushing your teeth. So ultimately you may think that's just part of your day but time is so precious and when you can multiply it to an annual amount it seems to become more real. I've been guilty in the past of not doing my teeth for any longer than 30 seconds but that's changed now. I've got my routine in place. So ultimately I guess those two overarching points are looking at our screen time can be beneficial just to see what we're spending our time on whether we want to even reduce that time and just recognising that although it might seem like a small chunk of the day, if you do multiply it out, then it can have a big impact. And I think one of the major changes I've made in the last few years, which has really helped me and is spoken about in the book quite a lot, is how our phone affects our sleep. And reading a book 
time to plug another book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's probably one of the best books I've ever read. It changed my approach to, to sleeping and how much it affects your life. Obviously, we spend around a third of our lives sleeping, or at least we should do. But so little is known about the effects of sleep and the importance of getting certain types of sleep. And then obviously chronic sleep deprivation or even less sleep can lead to big symptoms, even lack of attention, but things like heart disease, depression, obesity, etc. And our phones have affected the way we sleep as well. I think one of the main reasons is that we're using technology a lot in the evenings. Over the last 20, 30 years, there's been a huge change in that technology and how we use it. Um, going back to irresistible, a study cited that 95% of adults use an electronic device that emits light in the hour before bed. More than half check their emails overnight. 60% of adults between 18 and 64 keep their phone next to them while they sleep. Which also explains why 50% of adults don't sleep well because they say they are always connected to technology. So for me, an easy one is just not having my phone next to me. I've done maybe a few times where I've left it downstairs or in a completely different room, which has been fantastic because even in the morning you kind of forget you have a phone, so you're not prone to checking it. One of the things is a phone has your alarm, but it's quite easy to either get an alarm clock or just have something like I've got nice cheap Fitbit where you can set your alarm daily um, to wake you up on your arm, which I think is nicer than waking up to a really loud, annoying sound. But it's implementing ways of not having your phone around you before sleep and when you wake up. I think it's for me, it's very easy to do when you wake up because you want to get out of bed, go for a run, whatever it is, do a bit of admin before you start work or go to university, whatever you're doing. And I think it's quite easy to not have a phone in that period. What, what can be quite difficult is what I'm trying to unlearn. And I'm quite interested in this process of unlearning because I feel as a younger generation, we, we're having to unlearn a lot of the things that we've grown up with. So we're having to unlearn how we use social media, for example. Um, and what I mean by that is you kind of grow up in school using it a lot and speaking to friends on the platform. And now we kind of actually have to having to actively not do a certain behavior that we kind of grew up doing. And something I grew up with since about the age of 12 is listening to something as I fall asleep. And I've become quite dependent on that. So whether it started off with tapes or music or it's been podcasts for a number of years, it doesn't seem like a, a, the worst thing. But what if there isn't is a time where I can't use a podcast or music and I need to be able to learn just to sleep naturally. Some people don't seem to have that problem, but that was a, an initial tough thing for me to do was to leave my phone in another room or switch it off and then fall asleep to, to nothing. Actually, reading is absolutely fantastic for that because when you're reading in bed with a light on, it, you kind of start to get quite tired and then you're trying to keep your eyes open as you're reading. And then that's when I feel that you can go to sleep quite easily. But as I'm sure most of you know, one of the main reasons that our phones affect our sleep is the blue light that's submitted from our screens. A few tips for that would be I bought blue light glasses, which have seemed to help quite a bit because they limit headaches and, I'm, and I feel I can get to sleep easier. And another study on this uh, looked at people using phones late at night. They basically explained that the blue light emitted from the phone 
affects the eyes, the pineal gland stops producing melatonin and your body starts preparing for the day. And the researchers found that in that study, people produce much less melatonin when using electronic devices before bed. And this can damage our sleep. They urged companies following the study to design lights and sleep-friendly devices so it doesn't impact people too much. I know that my housemates made a recent purchase, which has been a light, kind of daytime light that wakes you up in the morning and kind of acts as sunrise and sunset for you. So that might help with your circadian rhythm, for example. And I've mentioned trying to unlearn things. I think it's always useful going back and thinking how our relationship with technology started because as a generation, again, we've had a particularly interesting time where we've been introduced to it as young children or young teenagers. And we were never really fully introduced to it as babies. And this is one of my, probably my biggest concern about it is that we haven't really seen the full effect on people using it literally since birth. So an example is... Uh, I've been to a lower league football game. This was a number of years ago now, actually. But the child was less than a year old and she started crying. And then the dad gave a phone to her with either a game or a video on. But this kept her entertained for, for over an hour. Now, I, can't, I really can't imagine how difficult it is to be a parent and make, making sure your baby's always content and happy, making sure that they aren't crying and... and potentially causing a scene, whatever it might be. You don't, I mean, you don't want your child to be upset anyway. So I don't necessarily, well, I don't blame the parent here at all. But on another side, I can see how damaging that has the potential to be. Even 10, 15 years ago, I think kids were being upset, maybe bored or not able to, to focus on anything and they would cry and they would, and they would continue to cry and they would continue to cause a problem. But the trick is there that they either learn to calm themselves because of the parent or they eventually realise that there was no point in crying and, and, and they kind of eventually stopped and just concentrated on the feeling of having nothing to do, for example. I'm speculating here, but her, the, the child's brain obviously was looking at that screen. Her brain won't fully develop for another 24, 25 years and she's already been exposed to a screen of just amazing possibilities. I mean, just absolutely staring at it for more than an hour. I'm quite concerned. I haven't seen much data at the moment for what that does to you over the lifetime, but I imagine we'll be starting to, to see the long-term effects of being exposed to it at such an early age when your brain hasn't even started fully developing yet. But also on the other side, to, to focus on the older generation, part of the book I really like is a Western child's first encounter with the digital world is when they notice their parents are missing in action. I quite like the idea of that because I think when you're younger, you get a lot of stick, a lot of criticism from the older generation for using your phone. But now I'm beginning to realize with a lot of my friends, they're recognizing what they do with their phones when they have it out, for example. But when I've noticed and spoke to older people, they seem to be getting worse. It seems that they always used to laugh and be annoyed when teenagers use their phone. But if grown adults can't overcome the need to check their phone to, pay, to post an update, how are you going to expect children to? So again, I don't want to be too critical of the overarching older generation, but it feels as though the lack of control and understanding of releasing digital technology and phones to children and kids and exposing them to social media might have long-term consequences and they seem to be 
so harsh and so critical of our behaviour with them that we can see that they just have as much of a problem as we do. But as I said, I'm concerned for a younger generation that's growing up with technology, continues to do so. Things like our retention. Our retention is definitely dwindling. This would allow me to point to a fantastic author, someone that has written two books or three now that I absolutely love, Johan Hari. So he's written Chasing the Scream, Looking at Drug Addiction, Lost Connections, Why You're Depressed and How to Find Hope. And he did a recent book called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. He started to recognise the loss of attention in himself and others. So that's when he spoke to experts all over the world about attention and, and, and also went on his own experiment where he went, I think, more than three months without any internet or phone. And just his experience is so interesting in, in the amount of times either he went to check it or how he kind of experienced all this anxiety to begin with and how that slowly faded as he wasn't able to do things like check the news of a horrible event going on the other side of the world and maybe feel negative feelings at a particular text, for example. But his attention was something that really improved. In the book, they mentioned that 77% of 18 to 24-year-olds claim that they reach for their phones before doing anything else when nothing is happening. When Microsoft tested people's attention, the people who did not have social media were far better at the task. And they stated that the ability of children to sustain attention is a strong indicator for later success in areas such as language acquisition, problem solving, and other key cognitive development milestones. Speaking from personal experience, my attention is terrible at times, um, particularly when I'm hungover, which is one of the reasons why I really want limit, <laughs> to limit drinking. That's another story. But my attention can be terrible when I'm doing a particular task. And it's all to do with my phone for me. Over the last few weeks, as I said, I've really made my phone as boring as possible. I've deleted a lot of the apps. I don't message people as much because I prefer seeing them in person or making a phone call. And there's really nothing that kind of gives me a particular dopamine hit on my phone. So I don't tend to check it as much. My phone went on silent years ago, so I don't receive any sort of notifications unless it's a call. And if I don't have it next to me, I, I find my attention's a lot better. And I've, I've been absolutely terrible in the past at just reaching for my phone, picking it up, and there's nothing on there, but I still open it anyway and, and just scroll through. And I think that's just me looking for, looking for something exciting to do, but it's just really affecting my ability to concentrate on a task. But I feel incredibly sorry for, for children with this, for vulnerable children with technology. You get to school and your life revolves around the digital world. And I think there's two other points that I'd like to concentrate on. One is the idea of feedback, which is very similar to kind of getting that dopamine hit. And it's mainly to do with social media. So I think Social Dilemma, which is a documentary on Netflix I'd highly recommend, was really influential at getting us to think about our relationship with social media. In the documentary, they speak about the like button. They say that they completely changed the way Facebook was used. All of a sudden, users would be able to take a gamble when posting and hoping that they would receive a strong number of likes in their post. And this is obviously happening across all the social media sites now for the past five, 10 years. A lot of what I do is actually on YouTube, for example. So I know it's somewhat dependent on the amount of views and likes it has, but they removed the dislike button like a year or two ago. 
at first I thought it was pandering to, to users who would get easily upset if their video was disliked, but based on YouTube's comments, I can see why they did this. You can still dislike, but it doesn't show the amount of dislikes, which can stop dislike attacks or harassment for a particular creator. So anyway, liking became extremely important on Facebook. I think, especially early on, people did tend to monitor who liked which post and why. It became a form of social supporting your friends. And I think Instagram had a really dangerous part of their app that they deleted, which was that you could see what your friends were doing. You could see your friends' activities and what they were liking. I think this did a lot of harm for relationships. I also think of Snapchat maps where people could constantly check where everyone was if they wanted their location to be seen. And you could also look at someone's best friends, which I think you can still do now. I'm slightly outdated from the current social media trends. But a lot of these were kind of having a negative effect on friendships and in particular relationships. And I think there was a lack of trust there for something that wasn't too much of a problem before. But it's this feedback on social media that I think is really making it difficult not to use. But I think finally for me, I like to focus on what we can do with the time that we spend using our phones. There's a couple of points in this book and it's all about, it's all about goals. There's an extreme importance to that. Um, so I've, interestingly, when I've been preparing for a marathon or for this marathon I've got coming up in May, the book mentions about marathon times. So they look at running times from the New York City Marathon. What's interesting is that rather than seeing a fairly straightforward graph that showed average times from the runners, there was high peaks on the graph at around three hours, three hours 30, four hours. They were all particularly high. And I can see this from my own running experience in in a half marathon, I was so focused on finishing below the two hour mark. In reality, there isn't much difference between one hour 59 and two hours and one minute, but it certainly feels like it. And we managed it in 158, partly due to our last mile, which was the fastest because we were so intent on going under two hours. And I find it interesting that psychologically people push themselves to achieve a certain milestone, but goals have changed in relation to technology the goals that we are trying to pursue and that we are setting to themselves, whilst they are helped by technology, they're also, technology does provide a, quite a bit of a distraction. So for example, and in, in, this is in Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, studies show that it takes up to 20 to 25 minutes to become re-immersed in an interrupted task. And I mentioned about being interrupted during a task and looking at your phone for a certain reason. And we are constantly getting interrupted a few th another thing I did a few years ago was completely disable all my emails. So whether that's my laptop or wh whatever I'm using, even when I was working, I wouldn't have emails pop up because it's, it's making it so much harder. And there was a study that looks at something similar. So the researchers looked at 13 volunteers. The first three days, the volunteers had a normal day at work. And the next five days, they refrained from using their emails. At first, the volunteers said that they felt disconnected but they spent more time walking around the office and more time going outside. They began switching tasks half as often. And finally, the last thing I'd like to direct you to is a Chris William podcast called Modern Wisdom. You should be able to find an episode called Multitasking. And that's a great episode that completely changed the way that I work. 
I used to work with various distractions. Uh, I used to have music on in the background. And when I say music, it's really complicated music with lyrics. I used to do housework while I was listening to a podcast or editing a podcast, actually. And I used to work with two laptops. But now I tend to focus on a task for 30 minutes to an hour and then have a break. And I think multitasking can really fool you into thinking that you are being productive. When I think I look back and I thought I was really being productive when I was editing a podcast while writing an email, for example, but that really doesn't work. It, it means that both things you are doing are not getting the full attention that they need. And I think this doesn't relate to technology too much, but with regards to goals, it's tough even when you finish them. There's been examples of athletes or professionals that have achieved greatness and then it just ends. I think it's the excitement of working towards that goal and then everything that comes with it, even your imagination at winning the event, for example. And at university, I mean, that happens all the time when you're working towards a particular deadline and then it finishes and it doesn't feel as great as you think it might be. And how this might relate to technology is that we're in quite a goal-oriented culture because of it. I've been told before to to calm down on goals because I think it can be quite unhealthy. I remember years ago doing like a counselling session where the psychologist advised that if you don't have a good day reflecting or hitting your goals, it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. For example, you might have been busy elsewhere, busy socially or, or focused on other things. So it's important to recognise that we shouldn't be too stressed about our goal-hitting culture. And that, that goes for social comparison, which has been influenced a lot by social media as well. A lot of people are speaking about this, the fact that we shouldn't compare ourselves to people all the time because you're seeing a certain thing on Instagram and it's making you feel guilty or, or negative. But that need to compare yourself to who you were yesterday rather than who someone else is today is, is by far one of the, the, the best things that I've heard. I think that's everything for me for this episode. At times it may have sounded a bit too negative on our phones or might have sounded quite muddled, but I think it's, it's, I've been sitting on this podcast for a long time now and I think I just wanted to get thoughts out there for anyone that's interested. And I'm really keen to have a conversation rather than just me rattling on with anyone that wants to come on about kind of their tips or how they use technology or the things that have changed. Or maybe getting someone on that, disagrees with me because a lot of this is looking at productivity and goals and how we can possibly change our life for the better but that doesn't necessarily mean your life will be better if you implement these things. Uh, I think people are more than happy and people do just spend a lot of time on their phones and may disagree that certain things are negative like posting on social media or talking to people on Facebook and Instagram for example. So I'd really be keen to get other thoughts as well as just kind of a, an absolute bashing of our, our current relationship with technology. But for now, that's everything. And I will definitely be keen to look at how technology has affected gambling because that's something that I haven't touched on in quite a while. And speaking to people that listen to the podcast, it's, gambling is really something that needs more awareness. And I hope to be able to spread that very soon. Thank you for listening if you've managed to get to the end and I'll see you soon.